Let's bow together. Father, we do uh, stand in awe before you. We, we just can't fathom the depths of your love for us or the love of Christ that uh, you would send your son to die for us and that he would willingly come and pay the price for our sins. And yet you have done so and you have demonstrated and demonstrate that love in what your son has done for us. I do pray, Lord God, that um, you would bless our time in your word, that we would gain a greater understanding of your love for us and then truly see where we stand in relationship to you and our love for you. We thank you for this morning, this time, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in the middle of uh, a break, having finished Nehemiah, and uh, be praying for what uh, passage and what book we go to next. And I was praying, Lord, what would you have me share? Uh, and I always think about, first and foremost, myself, what do I need? Um, I remember uh, from First Timothy and the Second Timothy, Paul tells Timothy to, you know, basically examine and teach yourself first Timothy, then then the flock, in a sense. And so uh, today, I feel like the Lord was wanting us, and including myself, to look at really uh, what is our love like for the Lord? What is our love like for Him? You know, we see in the book of Revelation that. Uh, the Ephesians were standing firm against the false teachers, but they had, in a sense, walked and strayed from their first love. And uh, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are so excited about what he's done for us. We, we want to do anything back for him out of love. It's not constraint. We don't feel compelled at all. We're thankful to serve him. We're thankful to, to worship him. It's a joy. But then things creep in. Things creep in and we get, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And we need to be reminded. And so I thought as we start this new year, it would be appropriate for us to be reminded from the Lord himself through uh, the book of Matthew. And so would you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, and we're going to look at the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment. And hopefully it'll be, you'll be evaluating your, your own life. I'm certainly mine, you know, evaluating our actions or the way we live. Uh, and how are we doing in relationship to this? How are we doing? Well, the book of Matthew, as you've turned there, Matthew 22, and we're going to look at verses 34 to 38. Uh, in the book of Matthew, we have the king introduced. We've seen that in the last few weeks in our Christmas time, right? That Jesus Christ is the king of the Jews, that uh, he is the Lord who came to save his people from their sins. And we had the way prepared for him by John. And the Lord Jesus came to his own, the Jews sitting in spiritual darkness. And he called them to repentance, revealing the truth concerning himself, the king. And the kingdom, uh, which can only be entered through him in the context of repentance and faith. And we saw that Matthew revealed and affirmed the personhood of Jesus Christ as Lord and God through the miraculous. We see his teaching was affirmed through that. Uh, the personhood and his teaching. And then we have the rejection of Jesus by the present generation, uh, an evil and adulterous generation who rejected him. And we see the growing hatred of the religious leaders uh, plotting to trip him up, to kill him. And thus we see Jesus' condemnation of them all. 
We see him moving from the multitudes to uh, going to parables so that the people who have hardened their hearts and, and closed their ears wouldn't hear and understand, but that those who had eyes and ears to hear could understand. And we come to the last week of the Lord Jesus' life, and uh, he is uh, on, his, on the very short uh, journey now at this point to the cross. It's going to be within a week that he's going to be crucified. And so it's within this last week of his life we have what we're going to look at today. And we'll look at the narrower context in a minute. But again, turn your Bibles to Matthew 22, and we're going to be looking at verses 34 uh, and 238. But I'm going to read through, first of all, to verse 40 here. So let's read our passage together. And actually, let's go, let's go back a, a, a verse to 33. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. But when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered themselves together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now, where we came from, from the West Coast, and even some of the seminary training I had, most of the churches out there have, and you can look in their websites, their motto is the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, pointing to this portion. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart and mind and soul. But, but what does it mean? What does it mean to do so? We saw so many churches doing things their way. Uh, are they really loving the Lord God with their complete heart? We see so many people, including ourselves at times, doing things our own way. Are we really in those moments loving the Lord God with our heart, all heart, mind, and soul? So here in our passage, notice Jesus has asked a question, uh, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And notice the occasion for the question. Look back at verse 33. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Uh, this portion occurs in the last week of his life. He is in the temple area. The temple has been cleansed. Uh, religious leaders were trying to trap him now. Uh, they had gained a little uh, boldness, per se, to ask him by what authority he was doing those things, and he silenced them. He clearly shared some parables that revealed uh, that they were in big trouble, uh, and they understood that they were talking about, he was talking about them. Notice back in chapter 21. Look at the chapter 21, verse 45. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood he was speaking about them. And when they sought to seize him, they feared the multitudes because they held him to be a prophet. So he had given these parables of condemnation and the Pharisees and the chief priests, and they knew it. They understood. They understood that he was speaking of them. And uh, then they continued to try to trip him up with questions, try to trip him up with uh, smart things to try to make him uh, fall or trip so that they could condemn him. Uh, but he answered them perfectly with his answers. So notice what happens, verse 34. But when the religious, when the Pharisees heard this, that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered themselves together. So they're pulling a little powwow. Uh, the Sadducees have been put to silence. You can read about that back earlier. And so they are doing a little powwow here. And notice what happens. 
They're going to try to do something to get rid of Jesus. But something happens in the midst of this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered together themselves, and one of them, that would speak of a Pharisee, a lawyer, uh, asked him a question, testing him. Now, if we had just this account in the book of Matthew, I would say this test was like the previous two tests, where they are trying to trip him up to get something to pin on him so that they can crucify him. They can turn the public opinion against him because the public saw him as a prophet at this point. They had rejected him as the Christ, but they saw him as a prophet. They couldn't deny what he had done. And so they were trying to trip him up. But I think at this point, because we have another account, we have the book of Mark, we can see that this person really wasn't trying to trip him up in the sense of the other two times. Notice in uh, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Let's turn there. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. We get a slightly different perspective of what we're seeing in our passage. And one of the scribes came and heard them arguing. Oh, what's that? The Pharisees. Guess what? They're probably arguing all the time about stuff, right? Came and heard them arguing. So they gathered together. So the Sadducees were put to silence. The Pharisees gathered together and they were arguing about stuff and probably how to trip them up, right? That's what we see in context. And so here, one of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognized that he, speaking of Jesus, had answered them well and asked him what commandment is foremost of all. So here in the book of Mark, it appears this lawyer or this scribe who was kind of associated with the Pharisees. We see that in the sense they're, they're on the same side in a sense. Uh, he is uh, not trying to test Jesus in the sense of tripping him up, but testing him in the sense to see if he really is who he says who he is. He's testing him. He's testing him in that light, in that light. It appears to find out more about him. Look at Mark, again, Mark 28, 12, 28. And one of the scribes came and heard them arguing, and recognizing that he had answered them well, he asked them what commandment is foremost of all. So you got the Pharisees arguing, you got this person who's called a lawyer or a scribe, evidently one of them, recognizes that Jesus has answered them well, and it is from this his question arises. And so here we have the scribes. Now they were, speaking of the scribes, they were the experts in the law, they were the legal beagles, and along with the Pharisees, they had, in a sense, seated themselves in the chair of Moses. They had placed themselves in a place of authority concerning teaching, and they were the experts in interpreting the law. And so it appears this scribe or this lawyer, uh, because of Jesus' good answers, is trying to find out more. Yes, he's testing him, but I think it's, um, it's, it's my thought and it's my belief that uh, he's wanting to see if he's the real deal or not. He's, wanting, he's testing him. So then we have the question. Uh, one of them, a lawyer, asked him back in Matthew, testing him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, he's speaking of the law, the law of Moses, okay? He's talking about those first five books, the Pentateuch, more specifically, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now, uh, specifically, some would break down the law this way to three basic elements. First of all, we have the moral law that speaks of the Ten Commandments. We have the civil law, those regulations governing Israel's functioning as a nation under God's sovereignty as their God. Things such as cities of refuge and stoning for offenses. And third, we have the ceremonial law, these provisions and regulations for the temple and the feast days, the sacrifices, all those shadows which pointed to the reality of Jesus Christ. 
And so the religious leaders of this day had quantified and qualified all of the commands of law. And there's 613 specific ones, 248 positive and 365 negative. And so he's saying out of the 613 commands, which is the greatest? We have all these commands, right? So that's what he's doing. And so can we... uh, There we go. And so he, uh, they're saying, hey, which one? Which one is the greatest? It's the greatest. And notice uh, we have a wonderful answer that Jesus doesn't hesitate. He shares it right away. And from this, we gain insight into the nature of a genuine relationship with the living God, a genuine relationship. Again, he says here, and he said to them, uh, verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Now, in the book of Mark, we have a little bit more information. Again, I'd read this earlier, book of Mark. It says, And one of the scribes came to him, verse 28, and heard them arguing, and recognizing, answered him well, asked him, What is the great commandment foremost of all? Mark chapter 12. And Jesus answered them, This is foremost. Notice he adds here, we have more information in this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. So we have a little more information again from the book of Mark. And so here we have the Lord God in human flesh without hesitation answering the scribe's question. Here it is. Uh, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And specifically here, the Lord Jesus' answer comes right from his word from Deuteronomy chapter 6. I read this earlier for us. Uh, Part of the passage is called the great Shema. Now, Shema in Hebrew means to hear and thus obey. You know, when you ask your kids, listen to me, you're saying, listen, with the intent of obeying. I'm telling you to do something. That's the great, and this is the great Shema. It means to listen and thus obey. And it was said that Shema, from the Jews' perspective, consists of three uh, passages. Deuteronomy 6, which we read earlier, uh, here was, which Jesus uh, shared here in Ma- Mark chapter 12 and uh, here in Matthew chapter 22. Also uh, Deuteronomy 11 and then Numbers 16. And it is these passages in Deuteronomy combined with the other passages in Exodus that were copied on little small parchments, little pieces of paper, and they were placed on phylacteries, okay? And they were put on the foreheads and worn like we see in Deuteronomy 8. They were placed, so they had Bible verses on their on their clothes in a sense, right? Now the Pharisees had broadened their phylacteries. They must have got them from the phylactery factory, but uh, as a, uh, but the, they broadened those so that people would see how godly they were, right? But that was bogus. The Lord Jesus would condemn them for that. But they would take these verses. So these guys got these verses on their head. And they're talking to him with these verses. And Jesus answers them with the verses they're wearing, that they're wearing, okay? And actually, at this point, too, they would actually, twice a day, they would recite the Shema. So this is very familiar. Very familiar to them. Uh, Very familiar. And so then, we have uh, familiarity, but that does not uh, substitute for a true 
relationship. There's some of you that know a lot about the Lord. You know his word really well, but you don't have a relationship with him. And we're going to see that it's a relationship with him that from this stems uh, an understanding of his word and thus a relationship with him. So then Jesus answers the question. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And maybe they were going like this, you know, with all your heart, soul, and your mind. This is the foremost greatest commandment. So with this in mind, what is he talking about? What does it mean to love the Lord your God? What does that mean? See, say, I love Jesus. I love God. What does that actually mean? Uh, if it's the greatest commandment, I think it would behoove us to understand that, right? I think it would. And so let's make some observations about this that can be helpful for us because we can be hardened by our own understanding. We're not to lean on it. We can be hardened by our sin. We can uh, see things wrongly. We can stray, like I mentioned, the Ephesians uh, from uh, Revelation who were holding against the false teachers. Good job there. They're commended. But they had left, in a sense. They had kind of walked away a little bit from their first love, right? I see that. And so here, let's take a look and let's make some observations from this. So notice, first of all, the first and most obvious observation is this is a command. What is the greatest command? He doesn't say, what's the greatest suggestion? The Lord says, well, I suggest that you do this. No, he says, the greatest command, it's this. It's a commandment. Now, we live in a society, oh boy, in our current society where commandments are not good. Uh, being told to do something is not good. See, with our children these days, you know, uh, they don't want to be told anything because that's their nature. That's the way we are. That's the way we were, right? And it's only when God changes our hearts, his commands become not burdensome, you say. And so here, it's a command. The very first thing, it's a command. You shall love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That is the foremost and greatest. He said earlier, we saw it in Mark, that along with loving your neighbors yourself, everything hinges on that. All 613, everything, all those commands hinge on these two commands. And this is the greatest and foremost. And notice also, uh, we have this person. You shall love the Lord <coughs> your God. You. It's interesting. The verb translated you shall love is in a, a singular form. He doesn't say, you all should love the Lord your God. You, singular, should love the Lord your God with all your heart. It is personal. It is personal. And so he says, you should love the Lord your God. And then secondly, notice he talks about here the term Lord. The term Lord, that's kurios in Greek. It speaks of one in authority. It ultimately speaks of a Lord and a master. And when it's used in conjunction with the Hebrew term well, actually, we see, see it used honestly uh, with the Hebrew term Yahweh, which speaks of the Lord, the I Am. It speaks of deity. And here, you shall love the Lord, the Sovereign, the Master, the Sovereign, uh, your God. So here we have the I Am, the Lord your God. And so this lawyer is asking uh, him the question, and he answers him. And guess who's standing right in front of him? The Lord, right? The Sovereign, the Lord God is right in front of him right in front of him so we understand it's a command now this command uh, was given in deuteronomy it was given by god specifically to a covenant people the jews they had made an, an agreement with god they had identified with him at sinai and they were his people and he was their god in position 
But in heart, not everyone. There was only a remnant that had believed. There was only a remnant that had truly turned to him. We see in Deuteronomy 30, it says, Turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. For this commandment, singular, is not is, uh, that I give you today is not too far. It's not out of reach. Now, the Apostle Paul would share in Romans 10, this is the word of faith he's preaching. He does, God doesn't say, do all my commands. He says, turn to him with all your heart and soul, and then you're able to do his commands. You see, the first thing is to turn. That, the one turning to him with your heart and soul, this is not out of reach. This is not too far. This is the word of faith, Paul says, that we are preaching. If you confess Jesus as Lord and, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be saved. And so then he says, love the Lord your God. Notice there's a relationship. It is implied, the Lord your God. The Lord your God. And how is it we become his people? Well, we become his people through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, the new covenant uh, reveals that uh, through the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, he becomes our God. We become his people. We receive the forgiveness of sins, right? He writes this word on our hearts, and so that you should love the Lord your God. But what does it mean to love? I mean, the word love doesn't really mean anything these days, does it? It means whatever anybody wants it to mean. Well, what does God mean? That's what I'm praying. I'm praying, Lord, what do you mean by this? What, is, what do you mean when we say you should love you with all our heart, the Lord your God? Well, we know the word here uh, in use of scripture is agape. It speaks of, of love that is demonstrated or, or manifest in true action. You know, someone could say, I love Jesus. And maybe they feel like they love Jesus, but it's not an agape love unless it is demonstrated in the context of action, as we'll say. It's demonstrated or manifest in the context of action. Indeed, Romans 5.8, we have the truth. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have this tremendous reality that uh, we should be called the children of God. In this is love, that God loved us. The Father loves. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, 1 John 3, that we should be called children of God. His love is manifest in what he does. Now, what he does is not love in in, in itself. It is a manifestation of his love. It's a manifestation of the love of God. And we have this love and this manifestation exemplified in Scripture. Let me share a few passages, a few passages. Let's go there together. John 15. John 15. And, and you know, it's interesting. We see if you love someone, it's going to be demonstrated in your actions. When a love is kind of walks away a little bit, when you stray from it, it's demonstrated in your actions, right? When you get hardened or things distract us, that's demonstrated in our actions, but God's love is demonstrated primarily. God wants to show us, this is what demonstrates my love. And he's going to share it. Look at John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another, Jesus says, just as I have loved you. John 15:12. Greater love has none than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I can. You care so much for someone, you love them so much you would give your life for them you see greater love you you that's how deep that love is now we get all caught up in the terms they use love agape and phileo and different terms uh, but you know we kind of understand love it's interesting in first john or first Thessalonians chapter four 
It says that uh, now, speaking of the love of the brethren, filial love, you have no one to teach you, no need to teach anyone to teach you because God teaches you to agape. Kind of moves together. They kind of cross over back and forth in a sense. So here we see God's love is manifest in an attitude of seeing someone as more important. Not out of a, a, I'm going to love by seeing you as more important. No, there's a love that then manifests in that, that, in that seeing someone as more important. First uh, John chapter 3, turn to First John chapter 3, and we'll have a couple of verses there, so keep your fingers there. First John 3, we know love by this. You want to know what real love looks like? You want, he says, we know love by this. He says here that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. For whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother, this is First John three sixteen, and then 17. Whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? You know, if you see someone in need and your heart is close, you're not exhibiting a real love towards them. There's no love. How could God's love be in you? That's the point. And then look at First uh, John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. He, he is characterized by love. He is characterized by this quality. By this, the love of God was manifest or, or, or exposed or revealed in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. You want to see what love looks like in action, you look at what God did by sending his son Jesus to die for us. That's what you see. And when you start focusing on it, you start to see and understand God's love. We know from Ephesians chapter 3 that God's the love of Christ is so beyond comprehension. But you can start to see it in Scripture. And so as we start to begin to learn about his love, we begin to learn what it means to love back. And by the way, we're going to see that our love for God is his love through us. We love because he first loved us. You can't love God with your whole heart, mind, and soul apart from having a relationship with the living God. Fruit of the Spirit, love, right? First thing, right? So he says here, the beloved, let us love one another. First, chapter, first John 4, 7, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifest in us that he sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Again, wonderful. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Tremendous, wonderful reality uh, that God loved us. God loved us so much. It demonstrates, it reveals his love for us. It, It shows us his love for us. Another passage, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And we're going to see later on that when we love, it's when we're listening to the Lord. We're allowing his word to work in our hearts. You know, if I want to hold on to bitterness and wrath and anger uh, and clamor, you know, then I'm not loving you at all. And so, but when I love the Lord, I want to obey his word. I want to do what's right. And I want to do it from a changed heart. It's a different thing going on. 
And so he says here, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for, for us as an offering, a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And by the way, on a side note, as Christ gave himself up, you know, you're offering yourself to the Lord. Lord, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not going to get angry at this one. I'm giving it over to you. I want you to help me be kind instead. I, I want you to work through me. And that's a love that God brings in your heart to do those things. And we can strengthen it when stuff gets in the way. Thinking this new year, what do we got to do? We need to focus on what God wants us to do, which is to love him. From that stems everything as we're going to see. So then we have this agape love, and it's demonstrated and revealed in the actions of God through Christ in redeeming us. It's demonstrated. Uh, but what about our love for him? That's how he loved us, right? We see that, right? Our passage says, you shall love the Lord your God. Well, we know back in First John, there's no way for us to love God apart from having a relationship with the living God. We love because he first loved us. We didn't love God. We loved ourselves. And God convicted our hearts of our self-love and selfishness and sin. And when we were convicted of that, uh, God revealed the Savior, Jesus Christ. He saved us. He saved us. And then we're able to love so true agape love originates from God and it is not from man. You cannot, you cannot make this happen. You cannot love God with all your heart, mind, and soul by just saying, I'm going to do that. It is by abiding in Christ, resting in him, having our minds renewed, changed thinking about you and you and you and about him, our hearts abiding in the Lord Jesus and Christ working in us by his spirit to bring forth something that's different as we see him and his ways, which are best and right, is more important than ours. So then here we go. Our passage says, you shall love the Lord your God. Well, what does that look like? Is it singing songs? Kumbaya, is that it? Uh, is, that, is that love of God? Well, as I mentioned, it's not simply a feeling. Uh, it's actually revealed in God's word that when we see him personally as more important than us, when we see his desire, which are good, by the way, his desire is for me to love my wife. His desire is for me not to be embittered. His desire is for her to, to love me and love our children. His desire for you is not to get worried, but to, but to pray. Those are good desires. When we see his desires as more important than ours, we're going to manifest his love. We're going to see that. Uh, turn to first John, or turn to John 14 again. You see, when God, he's the one that changes our hearts to make our interests uh, more his than ours, right? More his than ours. Uh, uh, John uh, 14, John 14. John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who what? Loves me. Wow, that's pretty straightforward. You got to have them. And you got to obey him. Now that's from a changed heart. And again, I mentioned some little ones in our relationship. You know, when I see myself as more important than you, I'm not loving him. Because he is, his love through me and a love for him would be wanting to do his way. His way is for, for me to see you as more important. 
And so that helps us understand, and we stray from that every day, brothers and sisters. We stray. But yet we need to have and understand his commands. Now, the word here is not the Ten Commandments, the namas, but his commands, ontali. It's speaking of his commands, what he commands us to do, and keeps him. It is he who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father. And I will love him, and we will dis- and I will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear from the word which you hear is not mine, but my Father's who sent me. If you want to know if you're loving the Lord, it's you're seeing your have a personal relationship, and you're thinking about His desires, which are good and his ways, his word. And if you choose that out of a relationship with him, that's a demonstration of love. It's a demonstration of love. We see that it's being manifest. Um, we know that First uh, John chapter 2, that if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If we love the, the, the stuff of the, me, myself, and I. First uh, John 2. Actually, let's turn to First John 2. You see, when we love... The Lord God in a real relationship, it's manifest in obeying his word. And we know that because when we're exhibiting self-love, we don't want to obey his word. We're doing our own thing, right? We know that. We understand that. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 3. And by this, we know we've come to know him. Here we go. You want to know if you know Jesus? Here you go. Uh, if we keep his commandments. There's commands. The one who says, I've come to know him. I've come to know Jesus. Uh, and does not keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not him. Now, we know this is not a perfect keeping of his word. We know back in chapter 1 of 1 John that if we say we have no sin, we're liars. But if we are the confessors of sin, continually, habitually, then we know that if we confess our sins, continually, habitually, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. And we know that these things were written that you may not sin, John says. God's word helps you. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He says there, but if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Praise the Lord, right? And he's the propitiation of our sins, not only for us, but for the whole of 1 John. And so we know we've come to know him. Therefore, if one says, this is verse 4, chapter 2, 1 John, come on, does not keep his commandments, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected or matured or completed there. Uh, by, by this we know that we are in. The one who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. What do we see in Ephesians? Walk in love as Christ Jesus loved us, right? He loved us by obeying the Father who loved us, right? For our good, right? We see that here. Now, one last passage that shows the same principle here. Turn to 1 John 5. Now, the Pharisees would say, I've kept the commandments. I love God then. Well, no, it's not out of a relationship, right? Out of a real relationship with him where he's changed your heart to want to be like him, to want to be different, to, 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 to do what is right. That's a real love. You love him. First John 5. Whoever believes that Jesus Christ is, Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. Now, if we stop there, we'd think the child would be Jesus. And certainly we do love Jesus, right? 
But notice he goes on, speaking of the child, which is more than that. By this we know that we love the children of God, that's brothers and sisters, when we love God and observe his commandments. You know, if I could say I love you all day long, but if I don't uh, obey the Lord and what he's called me to do for you, I know, um, I don't love you. I love myself. If I don't, if I don't preach the word in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, great patience and instruction, I don't do that. If I don't obey His word from a heart change that I want to do it, then I don't love you, right? That's in His evidence. I love myself. Okay, same thing in every area of obedience or disobedience. Now I'm not saying we're perfect. We fail every single day, and God forgives us. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But in a real relationship, to love Him is to give over your entire heart, mind, and soul to to do what he wants to do for for him because you love him. When you love someone, you want to please them. You want to do what is uh, what is best. So here he says, by this we know that we love the children of God and we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. It's only burdensome when we're in the flesh. It's a burden. I tell you right now, to uh, do what God tells you to do about your brothers and sisters, your spouse, or whatever. It is a burden if you're in the flesh. But if you confess, you get right with the Lord, and you allow his word to change your heart, it's not burdensome. It's not burdensome. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. So then, back to our passage. We have this, uh, this commandment here, to love the Lord. It's the greatest one. The Lord, your God your god oh tremendous so really i want to ask you this how's your love for the lord lately i'm asking myself i can see areas where wow i've slipped there boy lord i've ignored you in this area or whatever it might be i've seen that and we need to analyze our hearts and and come to the word of god and confess where we failed be forgiven and step out and love the lord our god with this we'll see all our heart notice this he wants us to love him totally, in a sense, all-encompassing. Back to our passage. And he said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He didn't say with all your heart, soul, and mind. He said with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. It's all, 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 right? This term holos in Greek speaks of the whole or the entirety. It speaks of totality, See, so totality. And we are really good in our sinfulness and compartmentalizing. We can make little compartments of sin that we just kind of hold over here and we kind of love here and not there, you know. It's with your whole heart, your whole mind. He says here, he says in your whole, we have mind uh, and then we have heart, we have strength. Or he says uh, with your heart, with all your soul, excuse me, and with your mind, with your mind. Now, in Mark, there's some differences, and in Deuteronomy, a little differences. Instead of mind, we have the word might or strength. There's some differences there. So what is Jesus saying? Is he saying we are to love the Lord our God with three different things that change in Deuteronomy and Mark and are different here, but are similar? Or is he saying the same thing three different ways? In Hebrew, often uh, parallelism is used to strengthen a concept used to strengthen something. So he says here the greatest commandment, and then he says three things. But he says it's a commandment, singular. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with your total heart, your total soul, and your total mind. So what is this when he speaks of heart, soul, and mind? 
Well, the term lev uh, in the Old Testament spoke of the heart. The term cardia in the New Testament spoke of the heart. It spoke of the inner man, the inner self. You know, what's going on the inside. It spoke of the source and seed of emotions and uh, uh, the, the inner man, volitional life, rational life. Uh, the heart uh, throughout Scripture is also seen synonymously with the word mind. Uh, take, for instance, God uses these terms in parallel in Psalm 7. Psalm 7, verse 9, I'll read it for you. Oh, let the evil wicked come to an end. Amen, right? Um, but establish the righteous. For the righteous God tries the hearts and minds. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 23, speaking of the, the bad lady, I'll kill her children with pestilence, Jezebel, and the, not the Jezebel from the Old Testament, the lady called Jezebel in the New Testament, bad lady. It says there, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, right? Philippians chapter 4, if we are anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, right? What is he going to do? He's going to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guard our hearts and minds in Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 speaks of the minds of the Jews having been hardened. And it says, when Moses read the word, there was a veil over their heart. Minds and hearts, right? Minds and hearts. Uh, we see that uh, in Hebrews chapter 8, the new covenant re- uh, revealed again. I will put my law in their hearts. I will write it upon, uh, I'll put the law on their minds. I will write it on their hearts. Right? We see that. So really hearts and minds are synonymous. We like the term heart because we have the idea of feeling in that. But it's all associated, right? It's all associated. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, speaking of a bad guy, it says, for as he thinks within him, so he is. What you think is who you are. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's why we need to renew our minds with God's truth. That's why we need to be have changed hearts. It's interesting. God's word in Scripture, Scripture, God's word, describes people by their heart conditions. Uh, we have uh, the word speaking of a change of heart, saddened heart, gladdened heart, slow of heart to believe, uncircumcised hearts, hardness of heart, sincerity of heart, uh, pride and arrogance of heart, idols of the heart. Unbelievers can be seen as having hearts of stone. Redeemed are given new hearts, hearts of flesh. That's how we're seen. So the heart of man, his thinking represents the inner man. The term soul speaks about uh, the inner man also. The, 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 the inner man is soul, right? It's interesting. We don't have this. We'll probably change this soon. But uh, we come from a Christianized Western background. You know, it's, 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 it's going away, but people don't think about souls, but there are souls. You know, it's interesting. In aviation, if there's, a, if there's a, an emergency, the controllers will ask, how many souls on board? On board. The implication is uh, there's a possible danger here, right? right? There's danger. Uh, how many souls on board? And so then we have this reality. We have this idea of the heart and mind, our thinking uh, so we're to love the Lord God with our entire thinking, our entire inner being, who we are. We're to think of him and his ways totally, totally. You know, and that's an evidence of loving him in a love relationship with him. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love the Lord your God completely, wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. 
love him completely wholeheartedly. And there's there's warnings about the old te- in the Old Testament about not being not wholeheartedly uh, uh, loving the Lord. Uh, the Lord doesn't take too kindly to the double-minded and the double-hearted in a sense, right? Uh, we don't want to be that way, and if we are, we want to confess. Uh, look at James chapter one. Now, as you're going there, I want to remind you from the book of Mark, talks about uh, uh, the things that go into our heart are what defile us, right? It's thoughts, right? Thoughts. James chapter one, verse five. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives uh, to all men generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the sea of the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We need to renew our minds and hearts so that we're not double-minded. We need to... Th- we need to hold every thought captive. Don't let them run free. That's why this whole this whole society we're living in is is like let your thoughts run free. Social media is just all about that. Just let them run uncontained. We need to hold every thought captive. First uh, Chronicles um, chapter twenty-eight. First Chronicles twenty-eight. David exhorts his son Solomon, and I'll read this for you. You can turn if you like. First Chronicles twenty-eight. So now in the sight of all Israel in the assembly of the Lord and the hearing of God, observe and seek after the commands of the Lord your God in order that you may possess a good land and bequeath it to your sons after you forever. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and willing mind. No compartments, the whole thing, the whole thing. Love the Lord God with your whole heart, right? For the Lord searches the hearts and understands the intent of thoughts. And if you seek him, he'll let you find him. But if you forsake him, he'll reject you forever. Samuel, in his farewell address in 1 Samuel chapter 12, says to the people, Do not fear, uh, you've committed all this evil. God was very gracious with them, by the way. Uh, yet, turn us, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve him, serve the Lord with your heart. Only fear the Lord, verse 24, 1 Samuel 20, and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. That's what helps us serve him with our whole heart. We focus on him. We see him rightly. We renew our hearts. And we're going to love him. If you're a true believer and you're focusing on Jesus, he's, you're going to love him. You're going to love him. Okay? We focus on ourselves. Then we've got self-love going on there. So then, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, Jesus says. So I think of those churches that say the great command, the great commission is their motto, but yet disobey God on a daily basis. Is that showing love? No, but we can do that too. We can do that too. And we need to analyze what areas are we not loving the Lord with our whole heart and entirety. And it's not burdensome because our flesh wants to make us, oh, it's burdensome. It's going to be a burden. It's be a burden to love. It's not a burdensome. So what do I do if I've got a divided heart? What do I do? What do I do? Well, you need to humble yourself and confess. Turn to James chapter 4. He's just made it clear that basically the way you reason why you bicker and fight and quarrel is because you don't get your way. That's it. That's simple. You want something, you don't get it. You even pray about it, but you pray with the wrong motives. Right? And so he says that. And he says, hey, friendship with the world, the way the world does things is hostility towards God. And he says, but something really great. But he gives a greater grace. Isn't that great? God gives us grace 
to, 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 to turn, to, to, to do what's right. Therefore, it says, James chapter 4, verse 6, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You just go, man, I've blown it, Lord. My attitude is horrible. My actions were wrong. I was wrong, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. And it says here, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and you'll purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. you got to admit it, humble yourself. So then, look at your life. Are you loving the Lord with your whole heart or is it divided? Confess and you'll be set free. Think about confessing and not confess, and you will not be set free. <laughs> you'll be just burdened, right? And you'll think wrongly about it. Just acknowledge it, and God is gracious. He's so kind. He loves you so much. And when you're walking rightly, you're going to love him in return. You're going to love him in return because you see him rightly. What a great God. What great things he has done for us. He's done for us. So then... The greatest commandment. Now notice, let's finish up, turn uh, back to our passage in Matthew. He's going to give some more information about it. He says, yeah, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart or your soul and your mind. That's, that's whole, holy. We should do that. Uh, and then he says, this is the great and foremost commandment. This is the megas uh, command. This is the megas and the proton, the first and foremost it's the first and foremost. And he's going to say later on, along with loving your neighbor as yourself, everything hangs on this. So if I got problems, then I need to get back to loving God by confessing and obeying him, right? That, that's where I got to go. That's where I got to go. Okay? So he said, this is the greatest, the largest, megas, and it is the foremost. It is the primary one. With your entirety of your being, see him and thus his will and his ways, because they're great and they're wonderful and they're kind and merciful and good, as more important than your ways, which are always, and our ways are corrupted at times, right? Often. And consider the Lord as more important than yourself. And he wants us to grow in our love for him. He wants us to grow. He wants us to grow, and that comes when we get in the Word and we learn more about Him. We learn about what He's done for us, what great things God has done for us. So then examine your life. Uh, do you love the Lord more than anything else as evidenced by your behavior? I could say we all probably say, no, fail, 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 right? I have, but we are to love Him with our heart, mind, soul. And when we focus on Him, we confess sin, and we see His ways and His wills above ours. We renew our minds. Then he enables us in this relationship to love him. We love because he first loved us. It's a fruit of the spirit. It's the fruit of God's spirit working in my heart through the word to change my thinking towards my ways and towards his desires and towards him. Ephesians chapter 4 or 3. Let's go there for a second. Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3. When you start to dwell on the Lord, start to see him rightly, it make, changes the way you think about stuff. You get, and we just get, we just forget Jesus. <laughs> well, we really do. We forget it. You know, now obviously it's by faith right now. We under, he understands that. We don't see him, right? But uh, it's easy to forget him. But we need to think about it. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. 
that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through the, his spirit in the inner man, amen, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. Tremendous, tremendous. This is the great and foremost commandment. We need to get back to focusing on Jesus and fixing our eyes on him and seeing and and, and recognizing, is this my way or is this his way? Am I acting in my own strength, my own flesh, or am I allowing him through me to respond differently? And that happens when I think about him when I'm focused on him and I'm walking with him. Enoch walked with the Lord and the Lord took him. When you're walking with the Lord, you start to think about things differently. So then, for this new year, what is the greatest and foremost commandment for us? Love the Lord your God entirely, with your entire being, right? Entire being. Well, some of you claim to know Jesus. And you've never really loved him because you can't, because you're still in your sins. And God's a gracious God. He just wants you to see that rightly. And so if you've never truly ever desired his desires over yours, not in an emotional sense, but in a real sense, a real relationship, maybe you don't know him. And God is gracious. Uh, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. You can be set free and you will experience his love today, and you will be able to love him and to love his people. Turn to Jesus and believe. And then for us, how's our love? Uh, we need to love the Lord God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and we need to think about where we failed, confess it, and uh, step forward with a new desire, a good and godly desire to love the Lord God with all our heart, mind, and soul. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your son. And Lord, we know we can't love you apart from you loving us first. And so I pray for anyone who has uh, not been saved, that they would be saved. And for those of us who have been saved, Lord, show us where we've slipped away from our love of you, where our love has slipped, where it's waned, and help us to obey you in those areas, to trust you in those areas to abide in your love and to love you by your strength and power. Praise in Jesus' name.